Good morning. Once again, how are we doing? Good. We awake? We good? All right. Good, good. I'm excited about today. I'm actually excited about this entire weekend, all right? Uh, could, hey, guys in the back, can we get a little house light? If I could see them, that would be awesome. I want to see your smiling, beautiful faces. There. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. I mean, no, it's okay. It was just wasn't what I was expecting. Okay. Anyway, glad you're here today and uh, excited about this weekend, not just because you get a day off. Some of you get a day off anyway because of Memorial Day. But because of what this weekend represents for us, it's a very important holiday, and I think it should be a very important holiday for Christians and for the church uh, as much as, if not more than, anyone else. And I'll explain why in a second. But a few things about Memorial Day that you you may or may not know, it's a little history because you might find this interesting. Um, Memorial Day was not always called Memorial Day. Did you know that? Does anybody know what it used to be called? No? No? Oh, see? Oh, I did find a fact. I, you know, sometimes I find little facts about things, and I'm like, I wonder if everybody knows this, and I'm just the one who's catching up. But in this case, figure this out. Memorial Day for a very long time was actually called Decoration Day. Decoration Day. I saw the nods of some of you like, I knew that. I just didn't, it just didn't, I didn't want to say it out loud. All right, Decoration Day. And the reason is because it, it, it came out of the end of the Civil War, the American Civil War, when they would want to honor and celebrate the people who had given their lives fighting in the war. And so both Union soldiers, Confederate, it didn't matter. People would go out in the springtime to, uh, graves, to graveyards or grave sites, and they would decorate the graves of soldiers who had given their lives in the war. And it was a way of remembering them and celebrating them. And it always happened in the spring because that's when the flowers were the most plentiful and people could go out and decorate the graves with flowers. It actually didn't become a national holiday until 1971. And somewhere along in there, the name changed from Decoration Day to Memorial Day, but it became a national holiday in 1971. And a couple of the sort of rules with Memorial Day or remembrances that are observed in case if you, any of you have a flag and a flagpole at home, what you're supposed to do is uh, first thing in the morning to go out and raise the flag to half-mast. And then at noon, you go out and you take the flag from half-mast to full-mast and leave it there the rest of the day. All right? That's what you're supposed to do on Memorial Day. And it is actually a law. Some of you may not have even known this was a law. Maybe you all do know this is a law, and I'm catching up in this case. But in the year 2000, President Bill Clinton signed into law that everybody in America at 3 o'clock on Memorial Day, 3 p.m., is supposed to stop whatever they're doing and take a moment to remember those who had given their life in service of our country. I don't know if you knew that. That's a law. I don't think they enforce it, but it's a law. And so maybe, but it's a, neat, it's, a, it's a great way to remember. And so maybe you want to take that and use that and do that tomorrow, like set an alarm on your phone or a reminder on your phone or something to go off at 3 o'clock tomorrow and take just a moment. Stop whatever you're doing and think about the people who've given their lives in service of our country. If you want to take a moment and you want to pray and you want to thank God for their sacrifice or whatever it may be, that would be a really cool way to do that. It's a really important holiday for us. And, you know, the the reality is when we think about Memorial Day, some people want to talk about, like, the country, and they want to talk about war and policy and all this, and some people have problems with this or that or whatever. But I want you to remember that regardless of whatever your stance on that sort of thing might be, that on Memorial Day, we're thinking about people. These are people, individuals, who have families, who have friends, who had lives, who made the decision to put their life on the line, and it did end up costing them their life to protect the freedom that we have. And that is something very honorable. In fact, I, don't, I can't think of anything more honorable than doing that, giving your life 
like that. And so it's very important that we remember this, particularly as Christians and people of faith, particularly in the church. We, we need to celebrate and recognize this day because the sacrifice of so many people that have come before us have protected the very freedom that we are sitting in right now. The very freedom that we are enjoying, the fact that we can get together, all right, together, in a service, openly, publicly, we can advertise it, we can wear our shirts, our t-shirts, our church t-shirts all over the place, and no one tells us we can't. We can talk about what God wants us to do in our lives to honor Him, and we can pursue that in freedom in our country. Even thinking about, like, we're in downtown Salisbury in a theater that this is not a church, it's only a church when we're here, right? And uh, this is this is a children's theater, it's, it's, like, it's all, like a public place. We used to meet in a public school. The fact that we have this kind of freedom is really, really incredible. And not everybody across the globe, certainly right now and certainly throughout history, has had that kind of freedom to worship and follow their faith the way that we do. And we should be extremely, extremely, extremely thankful for us, which is why I think Memorial Day, uh, I know people often don't come to, it's like one of the low attendance weekends <laughs> for church. There, are, you, you know, we track that stuff or whatever. It is a low attendance weekend. That's because everybody goes out of town. Everybody goes on vacation, celebrate. It's a long weekend, and the, you know, summer has just started. A lot of schools have just finished up. And so that makes sense. But as Christians, I believe this should be a big holiday for us, right up there in like the top four, you know. It should be a big holiday for us because of the freedom that it affords. So I, I think it's appropriate, it's important for us to take a moment to talk about it and to think about what it really means for us. And to think about it not just today, but every day when you see someone who is in active service or someone who was in active service, who's, you see someone with a veteran's hat on or you see somebody in fatigues out in the community. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, like a hunter or something. I mean, like, you know, like military fatigues or whatever, like say something to them because what they do or what they were willing to do has protected this. And this is a day when we recognize those specifically who have given their lives in service of our country. And, of course, we can't recognize them here today. Uh, but I thought we would take a moment to recognize a few people, if you would be willing to do this with me, and to celebrate the, the sacrifices that are made for our country. So I would ask if there are any of you here today that have had a family member who has died in active service in the military, you have made a sacrifice yourself, and you've suffered loss because of their sacrifice. So if you've lost someone in your family in the military, would you mind standing up right now? All right. Great. All right. We're going we're gonna to celebrate you and thank you. And, and now I want to recognize anyone who has served in the military in any capacity. You didn't give your life, but you were willing to. So if you wouldn't mind standing up right now as well. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm telling you, this is, this is an important weekend, and it draws our mind to a really important principle about love. There is no greater love than someone who would lay down their life for someone else. There is none. And so we look at that sacrifice and we remember that and the freedom that it secured for us in this nation. And then we need to think about those who are willing to give their lives and lay down their lives for the benefit of others. And really, this is what at, is at the heart of the L word. This is at the foundation. And if we can understand how to do this in our life, how to sacrifice ourselves the way so many have sacrificed for us, 
then if we are doing that, maybe you're like, maybe you're in a relationship with someone, a friendship or romantic relationship, and you're like, I just want to know what I need to do. I don't even, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do my part. This is how you do your part. You do this, everything else works. I'm telling you, you do this, everything else works. Learning to sacrifice yourself for someone else. And the ultimate expression of this, the best example of this that we have ever had is Jesus Christ himself. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read a, a very important moment in Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look at what he says about this kind of love, about the kind of love that he showed and that he's about to show. And it happens in a really interesting time. Uh, the night before, actually the night that Jesus was betrayed, is the night before he was crucified. Jesus gathered all of his friends, all of his closest friends and disciples into a room. We call it the upper room because it was like up, okay? So they were in the upper room, that's what we call it. They're in the upper room and Jesus does some teaching. He institutes communion. He does a few other things. He points out that, that someone's going to betray him and it's Judas and Judas bolts out of there, right? He has this moment in the upper room, and then he leaves the upper room, and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays. And the Garden of Gethsemane is where Judas comes back with the soldiers, and they arrest Jesus. And Peter lops the guy's ear off, and Jesus puts it back on, and it's a whole thing. But like, So you have the upper room, and you have the garden. But there was a whole thing, there was a whole discussion that happened in between those two places. In fact, on the way. And we don't know whether Jesus was, uh, whether he found a spot and stopped between the upper room and he had to cross over the brook of Kidron and before he got to the, the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. We don't know if he picked a spot and stopped and started teaching his disciples. It's like him sharing his last words. This is his last chance to talk to them and teach them and instruct them. We don't know whether he stopped or whether he was just doing a walk and talk, like he was just talking on the way as they were all uh, traveling from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. But in that time, Jesus dropped some of the most personal and meaningful instructions. Almost think of it like his last will and testament, that, that what he wants to leave his disciples with before he knows he's going to be arrested and he's going to be crucified. And John, who's his best friend, tells us the most about that conversation. And I want to share a piece of that with you where he is going to talk about exactly what we're talking about this weekend and how significant that it is. All right, we find it in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And John spends a few chapters here just on this conversation between the upper room and the garden. All right, we're going to start in verse 9. There's going to be some verses in here that you're going to... They're going to sound very familiar to many of you, I would imagine. Jesus says, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, if we can pause for a second. This word abide, it's not a word that we use very often, but it's a word that John used all the time. So you'll see the word abide pop up throughout John's gospel. And then in his uh, three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he uses it extensively. It's a concept that's really important to him. And the word that he used in Greek is the word meno, and it means to stay. And when you take the word meno, stay, and you apply it to different contexts, it can take on a little bit different meaning. Like when you use the word the meno and you're talking about a place, abide here, what it means is to stay. 
to remain. Maybe you would think about, like, I abide in my house. You know, that's where I stay. That's where I live. That's where I remain. And through quarantine, like, all the time. <laughs> I didn't move at all. I abide in my house. All right? Or if it is, sometimes it's used in terms of time. So abide for a while, which means to endure or to last or to stick it out or to stay in that moment or in that time. And sometimes it's used in, con- in the context of a state or a condition, which is what is happening here. To abide in his love. His love is not a time. His love is not a place. It's a state. And when it's used in uh, reference to a state, it means to stay consistent with, to continue in. So what Jesus is saying when he says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, abide in my love, he means God has loved me, I've loved you the same way, I want you to look at the way that I have loved you, watch the way that I love you, and I want you to stay consistent loving people the same way and loving me the same way. So it's like a, it's like a passing of the torch of love from God to Christ, from Christ to his disciples, love this way. And he's going to explain what that kind of love looks like. All right, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now let's pause for a minute because we, uh, I think we make an assumption when we read this. When we, the assumption that I would typically make, and maybe you would make as well, is when he says, if you keep my commandments... And so our thought immediately jumps to rules, doesn't it? If you do what I say to do and don't do what I say not to do, if you follow the list of rules, well, we have talked plenty in this church and in the last series on Living Free about how we should think about a list of rules or not think about a list of rules. When Jesus said, if you follow my commandments, if you keep my commandments, he's not just talking about do this or don't do this. He's talking about a much bigger picture. It's to look at the way that he lived and his instructions that upheld the way that he lived and were demonstrated by the way he lived. But he's saying, essentially, if you walk with me, if your life looks like mine, if your love looks like mine, then you will remain in my love, just like I have done the same with my father. Okay, So it's not just following the rules or you know, doing this or doing that. It's embracing and following the very character of Christ, the character of love. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is where real joy comes from. Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love others the way Christ loved them, loved us. If we do that, if we walk in that, then we abide in his love. We remain in his love. And the demonstration of that, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now that's ends up being worded a little awkwardly coming into English. It's, it's a little strange, the phrasing of it. But they're going for accuracy, of course, right? But the idea is this. If you want to love, there is no one and no thing greater, no greater way for you to do it than to lay down your life for your friends. And Jesus said, you're my friends 
if you do whatever I command you, right? If you follow my lifestyle, if you follow my teaching. And the greatest way to do that is to lay down your life. It's to love. The commandment from Christ is to love above all other things. It is the ultimate command. Everything else must come in service to love. Paul talks about this often. We were just in our, our Bible study we have on Monday nights, which we took, just took a break for the summer. But on our Bible study on t- Monday night, we were talking about this because Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians. We said, yeah, you can know, you can have knowledge, and you can know what you're supposed to do in relation to the law. And yes, I can eat this or not eat this or this food or that food. That's what the context is. But he said, but if in the process of exercising my freedom, I'm not exercising love for others around me, then I'm wrong. And I think that's an important message for us to hear today. That the ultimate commandment to us is to love. And it doesn't matter how right we are about this or that. If we are not loving in our rightness, then we are wrong in our rightness. <laughs> and, and I'm just I'm going to take a, a little bit of a soapbox moment, if you don't mind. Because there's a little bit of conversation out there about what's happening in our country and in our world and all of this and you hear from Christians and non-Christians and boy there's plenty of opinions out there and plenty of tones out there and all of that and let me just tell you this I'm, I can't comment I'm, I can't make a commentary won't make a commentary on all of it but let me tell you this this is just for me being a little irritated okay I am sick and tired of Christians giving their opinions about things or making stances about things and doing it in the name of Christ and it not be loving. If it's not loving, it's not Christ. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter if you're right. If you're not loving, you're wrong. Because Christ is love. And Christ was willing to lay down his life for people that he disagreed with. People who hated him. People who were completely opposed to him. People that society said didn't count or shouldn't be paid attention to. Jesus loved them and laid down his life for them. And so we must be loving above all things. And to be right as we're loving is good too. (laughs) But loving above all things. Okay? All right. All right. I felt good. Okay. We're going to fix things. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fix the world. I gotta t- I, let me just tell you. <laughs> let me tell you a story if you don't mind. It, well, you don't have a choice. I have a microphone. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was on I was on TikTok and I saw this video from this dude and he was talking about uh, evangelicals do this and evangelicals do that and it was it was a whole thing. He was like basically basically hating on Christians, which a lot of the time, frankly, I get. Okay, <laughs> and I, I watch some of those videos. I'm like, no, I'm kind of with you on that, you know. But uh, but it was about Christians, some sort of response to stuff that's going on. And, uh, and he said, well, Christians do this, or evangelicals do this. And I wrote, I commented on it, which is uncharacteristic. I usually just watch. I don't comment. But I commented on it. And I said, hey, just so you know, like, I'm a pastor of, of a church, and, like, we don't do that. <laughs> okay. Like, so I would appreciate if you wouldn't just lump us all under the same umbrella because not everybody behaves that way. All right. And then his, he commented back on it. And what he commented back was, well, then tell your friends to behave. <laughs> Touche. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Well, we can't change everything, but we can, we can handle what's happening right here, right? We can handle what happens out of this room and say that from our church family, our choice is going to be to love above all things. And we want to know the truth, and we want to be right, and we want to be on God's side of things. There's no doubt about that. But we are going to be loving in the process always, 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 always. All right? That is love. And we are supposed to be love, like Christ was love, because God is love. It's supposed to transfer all the way down through us. But Jesus said there is no greater expression of that, no greater example of that than someone who would lay down their life for their friends. And then Jesus says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. If ever there was a last statement, this is kind of it, where Jesus is like, hey, I've given you everything. I've given you everything the Father's given to me. I've shown you. You've seen it. I've taught it. You've got everything that you need in order to be who you're supposed to be and to love the way. And he says, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I want to be clear right here. We need to, if we're not careful, we might think that that means that God chooses us for salvation. That's not what he's saying. He's looking at his disciples and he's saying, I chose you. You didn't choose, and that's true because he went to them and he said, come follow me. So that's specifically for them. But he said, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. All of that is under the umbrella of love. It's what empowers it. It's what drives it. And it's what should drive us as well. And Jesus, shortly after this, he says a bunch of other things here too, but he finishes this. He goes to the garden. He prays so intensely that he sweats drops of blood. He's then arrested, tried, wrongly convicted, and he's executed on the cross. And on the cross, they get to see exactly what he's talking about. Exactly what he's talking about. They get to see him lay down his life for his friends. To give his life for them. The ultimate act of sacrifice right in front of their eyes. And, well, to be fair, they weren't all there. So maybe not right in front of their eyes. But to know that he did. To be able to see what love actually is. Love is the choice to lay down your life for someone else when you don't have to. That's what love is. It's what he did for us. On Memorial Day weekend, it's when we celebrate what others have done for us, the same thing. It is the true and ultimate act of love. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins in our place. And by the grace of God, if we have faith that he did that for us and believe, we can be saved. It's unbelievable. And it's the model. And if you want to know how to love well, that's the model that you follow. That's what you do. God so loved us that he gave his son. He sacrificed his son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God showed his love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He showed his love that even though we were sinners, even though we had turned our back on him, he demonstrated it by dying in our place. It's the foundation of love. You know what? I didn't mention this earlier on purpose. (laughs) You know what Jesus had just done before he makes this statement and before he goes to the cross when he was in the upper room? Yes, they ate a meal together. Yes, he instituted communion. You know what else he did? John tells us about this. He washed the disciples' feet. And not just 11 of the disciples, by the way, 12 of them. That's before Judas left. Jesus washed the feet of the one that he already knew was going to betray him. It's the ultimate act of love, demonstration of love. To lay down your life. And listen, maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you're in a relationship where you, things aren't going well. Things aren't going right. They're not going the way you want them to. And you want to know what you can do or what you're supposed to do, how to, how to think about that relationship. Step number one, I would ask you a question. Are you laying down your life for them? Or are you expecting them to lay down their life for you? Which is it? Because the relationships that are work are the, the relationships where both people in the relationships and the one that are healthy are the one both people in the relationship are willing to lay down their life for each other. That's when it works. To in humility consider others better than yourself. That's love. And it works. Maybe you're feeling distant from God. Maybe it's your relationship with God. That's the one that you know you need to work on. Maybe you aren't experiencing His love. Not because He hasn't laid down His life for you. He has. (laughs) But because you haven't chosen to lay down your life for Him. You still want God to serve you. You think that He exists for your benefit, to change your life, to make your life better. When the truth is, you exist for His glory. It's the other way around. And your relationship with God is never going to feel close and never going to be right unless that is right. Maybe you know exactly what you've been holding on to and you've been afraid to lay down. You've been afraid to give it over to Him. You've been holding on to it for yourself, afraid to give it up. Maybe you've been more concerned with your own good and your own comfort and your own pleasure than with what God wants you to do. Well, if you want to be close with Him, if you want to feel at peace with Him, you got to lay that down. you got to lay it down. Maybe it's a relationship that you have in your life with your spouse, your parent. <laughs> Things aren't going well. Your friend. Are you laying down your life for them? Or are you expecting them to lay down their life for you? That's going to make the difference. Maybe it's with our church. Maybe you're like, well, I want to feel close with the, with our, with the church, but I don't feel close with the, the church family. And I see all these people that seem so connected and so, you know, like they're fulfilled by this. And I just feel like I come and I, I come to service and, you know, that's it. Well, I ask you the same question. You know, when you think about our church family, are you laying down your life for the church family? Or are you expecting the church to family to lay down their life for you? One will cause you to be a spectator and feel like you're on the outside looking in, and the other one makes you a contributor and makes you feel like you're on the inside, you know, looking out. So which is it? What position are you in? It makes the difference. 
It makes all the difference. It's the difference between loving someone and using someone. Laying down your life for them. Paul wants the church to be doing this with each other. For Philippians, he writes in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the love having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then Paul goes on and he gives the example of Christ. He says, let this mind be among you, that Christ didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, took the form of a man, and was obedient to God, even to the point of death on the cross. He gives the example of Christ. He said, this is the kind of love, this is the kind of sacrifice you need to have. And then he applies it in, later in the chapter in verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, it doesn't mean to, like achieve it or to grasp it or anything. He's saying, work it out. Let it work. Work it out. And how do you do that? By sacrificing the way that Christ sacrificed what he had just said. Use your salvation. You have freedom, and now you're in a relationship with God where he sacrificed for you. Now sacrifice for others. Work it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then he says, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. He said, I'm laying down my life for you. And we're going to rejoice in that relationship that it creates. And listen, I don't need to overcomplicate it because this is the thing. This is the thing. It's the thing in our relationship with God, and it's the thing in our relationships with other people. That's what love looks like, to lay down your life for someone else. And so we all need to look at our relationship with God and say, is that my position? Is that what I'm doing? We need to look at the relationships that we have with other people in our life, particularly the closest ones to us, and say, is that what I'm doing? Is that the tone on both sides of this thing? But I can take responsibility for me, so is it on my side? And I think this is a weekend when we can really focus on that and think about what that means to us, because we think about it in the context of our nation and people that have given their lives for us. And we know how deeply that affects us and moves us. So you can be people of that character every single day, even if it doesn't cost you your life as a whole, to lay down our lives for our friends, because there is no greater love than that, shown to us by Christ and seen every single day. All right? Let's pray together. Let's commit to God together and ask Him to do this in us. Father, we come to you and thank you for the love that you've shown to us, the sacrifice that you made by sending your son while we were yet sinners.
Christ died for us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Jesus, you gave your life. We, we don't even adequately know how to say thank you for that. It's too much. It's hard, it's hard to put into words or understand. And so, God, I, I pray that you just you hear and feel the, the attitude of our heart, the appreciation that we have for what you've done. By your grace, you didn't have to do it. You chose to because you are good and you are loving and you are love. And so you laid down your life for us. We thank you that simply by your grace, we can believe in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus and be saved. Now maybe someone's with us today who hears that or believes it for the first time. Says, yeah, I believe. I believe that he died for me. I, Christ, I believe that you gave your life for me. And that today, God, you would save them. Let them see what you've done. Knowing that he not only died, but that he rose again. And that today, in light of that, knowing that they are your child now and they are saved, that they would now take a step of laying their life down for you. There may be believers in the room that, that accepted you a long time ago, Jesus, but haven't yet laid their life down so they could walk with you and be your friend. Or maybe we have people in the room who've laid down 90% of their life, but they still know there's 10% that they haven't been willing to do. They've been feeling disconnected from you, out of touch with you, and they're realizing right now they've got to lay the rest of it down for you. And I pray that you honor that. You honor the, the attitude and the position of our heart, a heart of sacrifice and commitment, service. God, help us to carry that heart into our relationships, whether it's spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends or brothers or sisters or moms or dads or cousins or co-workers or classmates or teammates, parents, that you would help us to take a position of sacrifice and service. That we would look at the way, God, you loved Christ, the way that Christ loved us, and we would love the same way. And we thank you for it today. Help us to know what steps we need to take. And we want to thank you. We want to worship you today because we know, God, that you have secured our freedom that you have laid it down for us and that we can follow you and trust you with our life. And so we want to sing about that now to thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.